Hi, this is uh, not Sean Connery, because uh, if it were, I would be extremely old. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to listen to podcasts about your favorite movies that you have never seen yet, uh, join us for the 4.30 movie, and perhaps we'll have another Bond week. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a Star Trek fan, you should check out my new science fiction TV show, Pandora, airing every Tuesday on The CW, or anytime on The CW app. Check it out. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the, the Inglorious Trexperts. I think LeWitt's overrated. In fact, I think he may be a candidate for the old Academy. <laughs> oh, Mary right. and I have invented the uh, Academy of the Overrated that's for uh, such, such notables as, uh, as the Gustav Mahler. And Isaac Dennison and, uh, and Carl Jung. Scott Fitzgerald. Lenny and, Bruce. Uh, can't forget Lenny, Lenny Bruce, Bruce now, can we? And, uh, how about Norman Mailer? I think those people Walt are all Lewis terrific. Everyone what? that you mentioned. What guy you had? You had a great No, no, I didn't have it. It was yours. It was Heinrich Bull. Oh, God. Overrated? <laughs> we don't want to leave off, off Heinrich. Gee, what about Mozart? You guys don't want to leave out Mozart. I mean, while you're trashing people. Oh, well, how about Vincent van Gogh or Ingmar Bergman? Bergman's the only genius in cinema today, He's I think. A big I just fan. Welcome back. It's <laughs> season two. Season two. I don't even know we how we had started. a season one. We just started this thing. Oh, uh, well, you know, and it's so great to inaugurate uh, season two with two of our most special and favorite Trexpert guests. Uh, Welcome. 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 We have uh, returning uh, champion. You know him from the Network. Uh, he's the writer-producer of Free Enterprise, uh, Agent Cody Banks producer. Um, he is a rancator, first class, and he is Robert Meyer Burnett. Welcome back, Rob. It's truly amok times today, boys. <laughs> truly amok times. <laughs> yeah, we should have had Ted Sturgeon on the show, except he's dead. Um, okay. And he's dead Sturgeon. <laughs> he's dead Sturgeon. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. And then, of course, uh, another of our absolute favorite guests, um, he not only was uh, a writer-producer for uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but he also... Uh, um, was a producer on Lore and Fringe, Siri with the Fringe on top, right. and a whole bunch of cool stuff. He wrote X-Men uh, First Class, um, and also uh, the wonderful MCU movie Thor, and he is, of course, wait for it, Ashley Edward Miller. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you for having me, and you know, the only thing I can say about it being amok time now is that at least it's not naked time. That's right, or naked now. Or naked now, especially <laughs> not naked now. Speak well, for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe we're still doing this show. I got to tell you. It's amazing. This has been, it, it's gone really quickly. This is, uh, you know, 
we're we're past fifty episodes. Oh, we're, 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 we're past fifty episodes, and I have to tell you, not that ratings should be the judge of anything. We are doing phenomenally, phenomenally well. Every, I mean, the numbers are huge on this show. That's awesome. I mean, I don't know who these people are that are listening to it, but apparently there are a lot of them. But I love every one of them. I know, I know, <laughs> it's true. And as uh, a friend, <laughs> <laughs> not in a naked now kind of way. No, but um, it, it is, it is, it is, is great. And I think it's one of the reasons why we keep doing the show is because uh, you know we get so many of these things like on social media at, at um, Inglorious Track on Twitter, Inglorious. Trexperts on Instagram, uh, where people just say how uh, they discover the show and they binge the whole thing right. like it's a Netflix show or something. Right. And that's uh, crazy. And then that's they get crazy. depressed. They go through the, like this withdrawal when they listen to all the episodes. And I'm like, who am I to stop doing this show and deny them? This taste of Trek. And contribute to the mental health crisis in this country. Good. Yeah. Well, I have to say, even the shows that I don't participate in, I listen to because they're fascinating, to coin a phrase. <laughs> I, I, you know, there's been a lot of really great people that you have organized and got on this show, and, and I, I really like the, the conversation you just had with Douglas Trumbull. Wasn't that great? I thought that was a really uh, special thing that you were able to do. It was and, not as special as, as I felt it because I, I enjoyed that so much. Well, it was wonderful to have. I mean, the fact that you're able to muster the talent that you, you can get and have them come in and really the entire history of Star Trek has been laid out. We got you... a lot more people coming this season too and a lot of big names too. Yeah, people are, people, A lot of people are you know, calling us and saying, I want to do the show. And a lot of people calling us and we want to do the show, and we're like, we're not interested. And we just keep saying, Bill Shatner, we don't have time for you right now. (laughs) (laughs) And Rafe Needleman. Rafe Needleman. Follows me on Twitter. What was the highlight of the first season? I have to say Rafe Needleman. (laughs) That was a pretty good one. Talk about a a runner. That was a joke with a great payoff. Oh, my God. I mean, and the way he found out about it, listening to the show in the car uh, on his commute to work. The the funny thing is, and, and a little bit of the sad part is, that... One of the episodes where we sort of built that up was uh, sent out out of order. Yes. So the 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 capper for that happened a couple months after Rafe Needleman showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's true. And it's my fault because uh, I just didn't think that episode was very good, and, and uh, <laughs> so I held on to it until we ran out of episodes. But um, but honestly, after listening to it, it actually was much better than yes. I remembered it. <laughs> I think having Walter Koenig was a highlight for me. God, that was. Even though I did bad, like I tried to get him to give me some Star no, Trek motion picture no, love. Well. He, he wouldn't do it. Couldn't get him. He doesn't you know. like it. He, there's no way you can get him to talk about the, the, liking the Star Trek the motion picture because he doesn't like it. Uh, I mean, you did try to get him to talk about Babylon 5 and I cut you off, but that's a conversation <laughs> for a Babylon 5 podcast, which we won't be doing. So um, well, Say what you will. For me, the highlight personally was Bob Salen. Oh, that was, about Star wasn't Trek that a too. great show? That, that was, was an amazing. amazing show. He is such a he is such a good guy. Yeah, yeah, and such an interesting, such great stories, and so smart. And to think, you know, we've all seen Rathacon how many gazillion times, and uh, yet, he, you know, we, we've heard a million stories, and he was telling us stories we hadn't heard before. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting too is that uh, you know a lot of people questioned me after that episode aired and wanted to know, is that all real? Is it true? I said, look who's the one credited producer on that movie. Yeah, Harv Bennett's the executive producer. Bob Salen is the single producer on Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Mm. Right. Yeah. And look, there's about 200 years of Star Trek watching experience gathered at these tables. <laughs> and somehow we were surprised 
by right. stories that this man told which us. Is, which is an awesome feeling. And he's it such is. an avuncular guy. He, he has the energy of a young man, younger yes. than I, and uh, I, I love that. And I, I just I just love him, and he didn't want to leave. And, of course, we were recording a couple of episodes that day. I was like, <laughs> okay, Bob, we got to get time to go. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> but, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. And then, um, uh, you know, I have to say... Uh, um, you know, when you look at the ratings, and again, not to judge by ratings, but our biggest episode uh, uh, by the number of downloads, listens, was um, uh, Star Trek on Home Video, where we had Bill right. Hunt, and that was a terrific episode where we sort of, you know, waxed nostalgically about the home video era, which is something that, in a way, brought, not you so much, Ashley, but Rob and me and Darren really bonded over those laserdisc trips right. to Ken Cranes and yep. um, that that whole era in which. Uh, you know, we'd go to Virgin Megastore at midnight because yeah. they were putting the uh, the Tuesday stuff right. out at midnight, and um, Back uh, when I you miss had that. To, like, make a journey to get something, yeah, as yeah. opposed to just clicking on something and having it show up at your house. Well, that, that, I mean, that was amazing because we would go whether it would be Tower Records, but it was usually Virgin Megastore mm-hmm. at sunset, um, and get there at, at midnight on Monday because at twelve oh one they would put out the stuff. Uh, for Tuesday. They could sell for right. Tuesday for Street Date. And so for a half hour, they keep the store open. It was great. And it great. was great. And we bought so much there and had so much fun and um, bought, you know, spent so much money on stuff I still haven't opened, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was it was, it was was great. And those were, those were great times. Those were great times. And I think that this part of the appeal of the show is it recaptures some of that fun of an earlier, more civilized, elegant, more civilized I'd, age. I'd like to hope so. I'd like to hope that it shares some of that excitement that we had. Um, back then, that is, you know, dormant a little bit now. But uh, because oh, you can find it if you look, Darren. Well, I suppose, but it's it was such a, a a fun part in I know all our lives that we want to sh- sort of share that excitement and that fun, and because it's it's missing a lot these days. Yeah, there's there's a joy I think to having everything ever produced. Uh, available at the press of a button, but yeah, so much it's is a wonderful thing. It's but a be wonderful careful thing what you wish for because right. so much is lost. The yeah. pursuit of it, um, right. and and the joy of owning something that you've coveted for such a long time. The thrill of the hunt. The fun. I, I, I can only imagine. You know, like this week that we. we um, Apocalypse Now came out on 4K. Yes, in this beautiful edition. It's a, it's the movie. It's 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 the Redux. It's the final cut. It's it's what Charlie did with Blade Runner, you know, but for Apocalypse Now and at Hearts of Darkness, which is the equivalent of I guess Dangerous Days in that sense. And uh, you know, in the old days, we would have been counting the days, and we probably would have traveled through you know hills and dales <laughs> and valleys and gone down you know to to you know be at the store when it opened all the way to Ventura you know, Boulevard. Now it shows up in an envelope from Amazon that I ordered three months ago and then you know the pre pre bought and it just oh well today Apocalypse Now right. came out I'll have to watch this sometime soon and it was like uh, <laughs> oh I put it on as soon as it was in my hot little hands oh I bet you did yeah and it's <laughs> and that to me is like uh, that to me is one of the great Star Trek episodes of all time Apocalypse Now I mean <laughs> well that's what Insurrection was supposed to be right yeah, yeah. I know and I wish it had been yeah no uh, me too because uh, you know this darker heart of darkness because it turned into Insurrection yeah yeah right. totally with the Baku yeah. and um, it was kind of a yeah kind of kind of weird thing I mean the best version of Heart of Darkness on Star Trek of course was um, the episode with Bob Bob Gotten, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wounded. Right. The Wounded. The Wounded, yeah, which is great. Fourth season. And um, the introduction of the Cardassians. That's right. And that's a, that's a terrific episode. Uh, and that's an episode I want to do. 
um, uh, later this season. I want to do the the essential Picard to prep for Picard. Mm. What are the, the Star Trek episodes you must see to prepare for Picard? Because there are probably people in our audience who maybe aren't familiar with Next Gen. Well, you right. know, they are releasing a Picard set. Yeah, but who cares? Marketing department. Who cares what the marketing department told them to put out? But they're putting on one of our documentaries that we did for TNG. They're repurposing it. Well, that's good because oh, that's people nice. should see it because those are great documentaries. But uh, you know, I'm not interested in you know, these stupid collections. What I am, you know, <laughs> what I am interested in is what we have to say. Right. So, uh, <laughs> um, ah, the arrogance of elderness. Um, so uh, I will, um, uh, you know, today I think we we have a really what hopefully will be a very fun episode. It's called the Academy of the Overrated. Now, where does that come from? In the uh, in the movie Manhattan, there's this great conversation in which Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are talking about. Uh, and 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 I think it was and it was uh, Tony Roberts uh, talking about this this um, all these things that are overrated like Vincent Van Gogh and uh, and Ingmar Bergman and 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 it, it, it Woody Allen starts to really stew over it and um, Gogh I got Vincent Van Gogh Van Gogh very fresh and uh, so so I, I I thought today we would talk about the Academy of the Overrated now. I know what you're going to say. Isn't the show about extolling the things we like and not trashing the things we don't? That's true for the most part. This is not trashing. It's not trashing. This is this is analyzing and getting a a clearer view of the things that we love. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, and and we know that you know, Star Trek certainly is not perfect. It's not wonderful imperfect, every time. Sterilized yeah. imperfections. Like humanity itself, Star Trek has ups and downs, highs and lows. Yeah, those highs are a lot less uh, these days. You know, the, the, who's to say? But, but uh, me. I, I think that I think that in the mirror universe, that's not true. In the, <laughs> it's a, the opposite. Against the feeling that all Star Trek fans have to be um, have to have to have blinders on all the time and love everything that is Star Trek. I think we need to be truthful. Such a great point. Yeah. In 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 our love for something, yeah. and that it is not perfect, and that we can like the things that we like, and also understand that there are things that aren't as good as we think. They a are. criticism that is not helpful is it sucked, right? Right. That's a terrible criticism. But when you <laughs> and can, untrue, and but when you right. can analyze something, yes. and talk about why maybe it isn't as good. I mean, look, this is I think. I think was the triumph, getting back to episodes we love, the triumph of our Star Trek Three conversation was that I would say the majority of our audience loved Star Trek Three. Absolutely. Loved it. And uh, you know, so there are a couple of people on social say, I'm not going to listen to that episode because they're going to trash Star Trek Three. The majority of the people said, you know what? I love Star Trek Three, but I thought that was a great episode. Yeah. They found it fascinating that, uh, you know, our perspective on it. And in no way does that diminish their love of Star Trek Three. Right. Nor should it. Nor should it. <laughs> exactly. If you love Star Trek Three, keep on loving it. That's fine. Nobody's telling you not to love it. Uh, if it was generations, me. No, but you keep on loving it. <laughs> but but um, but um, you know. And I think if people have interesting and and uh, knowledgeable things to say, um, then it is beneficial and it's useful and it starts a debate because that's what Star Trek is all about. It's about an educated debate right. about a discussion. I mean, how many times did Kirk and Spock and McCoy disagree about something? They would Everything. reason it out. Right. And, uh, you know, that's that's part of the show. So you're absolutely right in that it's not us trashing it. It's just saying, wow, maybe I don't know why I'm in the minority in terms of not understanding why this episode is so beloved. Right. And so I will turn to you, 
Robert Meyer Burnett to um, tell us what is an episode, any of the series that you can't fathom why people love it so much and, and why does it not resonate for you? Well, now, wait a minute. I, <laughs> I, you said, I would like to say that uh, you, it's the Academy of the Overrated. Academy I have the overrated. an episode that I think is overrated. Yeah. That, that I understand why people love it, though. Yeah. Best of both worlds. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. You once knew him as Picard, captain of the Starship Enterprise, but now he's half man, half machine, a deadly pawn of the evil Borg. His mission, to destroy Earth and anything or anyone who gets in his way. It's the showdown of the 24th century on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, interesting. I'm coming out with the best of both worlds. I think that the best of both worlds, one of the things that always bothered me about Next Generation, some of the best Next Generation episodes, people love the plots of those episodes. Best of both worlds has a plot that is, of course, irresistible. How can you not love Captain Picard getting kidnapped and turned into Locutus? Mm. But what's really great about that episode, the best part about that episode, is the Riker-Shelley story, mm -hmm. where you have one of our main characters who is now put in a position where somebody is directly challenging his authority, and, and he's wondering whether or not he's put in a position of, of doubt. He's doubting himself. He's wondering, is he the kind of go-getter that he should be? When Shelby says, you're in my way, they try and paint her as somebody, it's the same thing they did with in Chain of Command by making Jellicoe, they tried to make him a bad guy. Mm -hmm. But really, he was very competent and very good at what he did. Mm. And I thought that the Riker-Shelby story deserved, and, and it's it's kind of forgotten in part two. Right. Yes. And and I, I think that what was really interesting is that you had real potential for honest character conflict and growth mm -hmm. uh, in that episode that was unrealized. Yeah. And, and I, I think, look, no doubt that the Borg are an amazing adversary. The, the return of the Borg after their first season introduction in, in Q-Who was amazing. And, of course, the plot doing that to Patrick Stewart, making him, taking him away and potentially taking him out of the equation was an amazing bit of television. And it certainly announced to the world, Star Trek The Next Generation is here to stay. Mm. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, the Borg remain one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. And and by putting in Patrick Stewart as Locutus, suddenly the Borg became more interesting. They were way more interesting in Q-Who when you didn't know anything about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and this idea that the Borg were almost like a force of nature. You can't do anything about a hurricane bearing down on the Florida panhandle. There's nothing you can do about that. You, it, it, but the Borg, in a way, the best of both worlds showed that maybe there was something you could do about the Borg because we were able to rescue Captain Picard right. eventually. And huh. It and diminished the Borg it, it, as it, a threat. Ultimately, yes. And if there was a way that, if they kept it where you could not reason with them, there was nothing we could do because they have no empathy. They have mm -hmm. no feelings. And yet, the Borg are like, well, I guess we need somebody to like talk to humanity before we assimilate them. So we're going to get a human being like Picard. Suddenly, the Borg are like, well, that I would love to know whose voice that was. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it's I, I, I just think, no doubt, look, I love Best of Both Worlds. 
I saw it. It was amazing to me. But over the years, as I think the Borg have been diminished a lot, and now we're seeing a Picard show where they're going to continue to to deal with Borg, but I the Borg, and I think that the 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 best of both worlds is an episode that is all plot when it could have been an episode that delved deep, deep, deep into character. I think that's a really interesting choice. I mean, I will say, and we've talked about this before, I think when we did the 100 greatest, 50 greatest episodes or 51 greatest episodes about the, in Q Who, it was so fatalistic. We couldn't fight them. We couldn't win, you know, and then basically the only way that we survived was to have the you know, intersection of the uh, deus ex machina of Q mm-hmm. taking us back to where we started because we couldn't have beat them. We would have been destroyed. You know, of course, that doesn't pave the way for many great future episodes uh, because they're so overpowering. But um, I think it's totally legit. You know, uh, we know that you know Michael Pillar was um, uh, that whole Shelby um, Riker thing was him. He was sitting in the shadow of a great man, Rick Berman, and he was wrestling with whether or not he should leave Star Trek or stay. He thought he was leaving. Uh, so as great art often is uh, informed by personal experience, uh, it all came out of that. And what you don't have in Best of Both Worlds Part 2 is he took the money and stayed and didn't have a personal <laughs> dilemma anymore right. to write about. So that all goes away and isn't very interesting. Um, and, of course, then you have to resolve the situation, which should have been irresolvable in that, yeah, of course, we got to get Picard back. And and, and uh, then it just becomes uh, sort of – and, you know, they had he had no plan for getting out of it. He was leaving the show and he figured it would be somebody else's problem. And, of course, now he had to get us out of that – um, quagmire, um, and it's just not very satisfying. So for me, I, I agree with everything you said. I love Best of Both Worlds me Part too. 1. Me too. I don't like Best of Both Worlds Part 2 very much, but I, I think it is a completely legitimate uh, uh, entry for the Academy of the Overrated. I mean, I just think when, especially you watch an episode like Measure of Man, a Star Trek episode that basically takes place in a room. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a far more satisfying, especially for a rewatch. You go back and Measure of a Man is Star Trek at its best. It's compelling. It provides uh, uh, arguments and things that you ponder long after the episode's over. The best of both worlds only have Picard being kidnapped and turning into a And, and you know, this wouldn't be my pick for Academy of the Overrated, but an episode that I think could qualify that's an offshoot of what you just said is I Borg, which is an episode mm-hmm. in which uh, a Borg, uh, Hugh, Hugh mm-hmm. Jonathan Delarco, who apparently is the crux of the new Picard show, apparently, is, is being... You know, uh, they're wrestling with whether or not uh, they should, um, uh, I guess, uh, basically create, in, uh, cause an interstellar genocide right. by um, uh, sending Use him as a poison Using pill. him. And, and it's funny because Battlestar Galactica did the same exact story. The, 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 we're basically, oh, we have a virus that can destroy the Cylons. Right. And they, in Galactica, they're actually going to do it. Um, and I think that was a lot more compelling. And then they also sort of chickened out because they had, uh, you know, uh, what was his name? Tamina Pennekent. What was his character? Um, he he basically kept it from happening. He, Jessica Van Puttermaker? Yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever Jessica. his name. Yeah, yeah, Jessica Van Puttermaker. But uh, that was a first season reference in case you didn't get <laughs> oh, that. Oh, got continuity on the show. Uh, the United Earth Space Probe Agency here at the uh, Glorious Drexworths. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, I felt like I Borg 2 was an episode that you know it was the kindler gentler borg and uh, you know people just love that episode and, and i was never a huge i borg fan it was a really interesting question that it raised you know do we have the right to wipe out an entire race when they are intent on wiping us out but um i didn't think it necessarily wrestled with the question well, as well as it could have and it diminished the borg as an adversary i kind of thought i'll agree with you 
and disagree with you simultaneously. Wow, you can have it both ways. Yes, I'm going to have it both ways. You can I can keep two thoughts worlds. in my head at the same time. <laughs> I have the best of both worlds. Yes. Um, here's where I agree. I think you're right that the way that the Borg were ultimately handled in this episode diminished the Borg. And I think as the story of the Borg went on in Star Trek, various incarnations, I think that process continued even when they were used dramatically, effectively in the moment of certain stories. Um and I think that part of the reason is that it really didn't deliver on what it meant for Picard to be a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where was the, oh, you know, what if, you know, the seeds of the Borg's destruction was actually making Picard part of them? And not like, you know, we're introducing a virus to you way, but that somehow that human empathy mm-hmm. is assimilated into the Borg and that makes it possible. Uh, our, our human flaws is what makes it possible to defeat them. That was never really explored. There were all kinds of directions that it went and it went none of them. Um, but what I thought was super effective about the Riker-Shelby relationship, even if you just stand back from it and totally agree that it was never really delivered on, what that episode did very effectively is it made it seem plausible that there could be a Star Trek The Next Generation with no Picard, with Captain Riker, and his first officer, Elizabeth Shelby, right? It made it feel like that was real. Um, yes, it and, did. And their relationship was so great. Uh, it was completely compelling. Their scenes were always fantastic. Like, And part of the reason why at the end of that episode, I think I was, you know, I was, because I was much younger, I could sit and watch television cross-legged and it would not hurt to stand up. Um, like, I think I just sort of fell face first into my TV watching that, you know, on Mr. Mm. Wharf Fire, because I believed that it was possible we would come back and there would be no Captain yeah. Picard. I think I agree with you 100%. And, I, you know, just to speak to the Borg for uh, just as a final thought. Speak to the Borg. I I always thought that <laughs> Hello, the, Borg, Borg. <laughs> the Borg were never given the depth that they deserved. Mm. I always saw the Borg as us if we... Our desire to have more technology and put more into ourselves and sort of our, our if we are going to become transhuman, the the ultimate danger of that is what happened. It was like we were it, it was a society like us that went a little too far. We didn't know what it meant once we hooked ourselves up to a mainframe or whatever. Like, like Twitter. Well, it wasn't Skynet destroying us. It was we became the Borg and it was a t- cautionary tale and your, they never dealt with that. We are the Borg. <laughs> we are the children. Your statement means that we're dancing around the real overrated thing. What's that? The Borg. Oh, oh. man. That's bold words. The Borg are overrated mm. because they were set up so well and the realization of them, each time we met them, they were less. Mm. Your overrating is irrelevant. <laughs> well, that's, that's really interesting. But, you know, look, I would argue, I mean, it's no secret, uh, none of us are huge Voyager fans, but I do feel that Seven of Nine was a really interesting character in Voyager. So without the, the, the Borg, you probably wouldn't have had this Seven of Nine character, which was one of the more interesting things about Voyager. And they did interesting things with the Borg in right. Voyager that not necessarily diminished the Borg, but made them more interesting when you delved into what are the ramifications of sentient life being Borgified and how would you have to deal with their, their brains? Unless you're going to, there's a reason why they kept the brains of people. Right. Mm. And, and they were getting brains, into that. Brains, brains, what is well, brain? Well, once you have that, you've got Unimatrix Zero and you have all of these things where Borgs need to go to a place when they regenerate where they dream. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would they were the, the 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 fusion of biology and technology was an interesting way to go that we never saw really dealt with. Mm. They kind of did until in the iPhone. 
<laughs> yeah, until Facebook. Johnny I was. Uh... So, uh, Darren, we've heard uh, Rob's pick for the Academy yes. of the Overrated, and of course that is uh, Best of Both Worlds, and a really a fascinating pick on his part. And it's exactly what I was hoping would come of the show. It's like some of these beloved chestnuts would get taken down a, a peg. <laughs> I'm going to say something that I fully expect to get hate tweets. Oh. Oh. Now I'm really intrigued. Okay, we're waiting. City on the edge of forever. Oh, oh. dude, you're not just going to get a hate tweet. Not the, I'm walking off the show. Well, I'm going to tweet you right now. Not <laughs> Everybody tweet. Not the televised version. Oh. oh. But Harlan Ellison's, back on the show. Harlan Ellison's <laughs> version um, is not good. Incredible power. It can't be a machine as we understand mechanics. And what is it? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Are you machine or being? I am both and neither. I am my own beginning, my own ending. I see no reason for answers to be couched in riddles. My answer is simply as your level of understanding makes possible. And I know that uh, you know everyone thinks, oh, you know, it, it it won a Hugo. It was it was wonderful. It was you know they 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 really the greatest screw- trick the they devil ever played. Him. <laughs> they screwed him over. You waited till he was dead to say this, didn't you? Yeah, because he'd show up at the studio and punch him in the nose. <laughs> well, he punched me in the knee. Um, <laughs> oh man! Look, season two, baby. <laughs> Look, Harlan dished it out. He's going to take some of it in the afterlife. Okay. Um, he was he was arrogant beyond the capability of that script that he gave. Mm. Um, it completely was not a Star Trek episode. Mm. He completely went off in these tangents that had nothing to do with our characters. Um, he created new characters that had, you know, no bearing on anything else in the show. And he basically just sort of put a sticker on it that said Star Trek when it completely wasn't. And Gene Roddenberry was completely correct in not accepting that script and getting rewrites from so many other people yeah, who DC were working Fontana, on the show. Gene Kuhn. And, and years later, Harlan got so much traction out of that uh, unproduced script of his mm. that you know he got his money's worth. Sure. And, and I think that a lot of people who revere his version of it first of all have never read his version of it um and they just assume that oh well it's it's so wonderful because it came from harlan bullshit next okay. time on inglorious Trey experts f harlan ellison in the a <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my god but the because the televised version is so good and it has only a tenuous connection with his original script that's why I say this. I wonder what uh, Gene Roddenberry would have to say about that. Well, <laughs> he's not coming today. <laughs> Damn it. Darren, um, can you take us through a, a little bit some of the specific differences? Look, the, the original setup is that there is a, 
drug dealers. It, well, it, it, the, basically, yeah. it's a it's a drug based on on uh, on sound. sound yeah. Um, sort of like the re- rework of Dune. Um, and it 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 is a it is Toto? something that that completely addresses the the pleasure centers of the brain w- using sound waves. And there's someone uh, on the ship um, who is who is uh, dealing with this, and he he goes crazy, and he is the he is the McCoy. He he yeah. fulfills the yeah. the McCoy role, and going back in time and space and changing the past and changing the past. And but the the main the main difference between this the his script and the final episode is that Kirk isn't the hero. Kirk tries to save Edith Keeler. Yes. And almost succeeds, yeah. but Spock stops him. Right. And that's missing the dynamic that makes the the screened episode so much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, Harlan used to say that, you know, the story is about a love so strong that a man will give up the universe for it. And I think that that's, that's a, forgive me, it's a cheap way out. It's like the good of the one outweighs the good of the many. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, Kirk is a great character because he knows what he needs to do mm-hmm. and he does it. And he pays the price for it. Absolutely. For the rest of his life. Yeah. It's like James Bond losing Tracy in Our Majesty's Secret Service. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, that expression, I mean, God, when, when you know, he, he knows what he's done. I mean, that's one of yeah. Shatner's great moments yeah. in, in acting history. And, and But the, the great integration of the Holy uh, Trinity, Kirk, Spock, and mm-hmm. McCoy, all working here, and um, the machinations that finally came through the produced uh, screenplay works so much better yeah. with the characters because it's about Star Trek. <laughs> it's not about this other story that our characters are accidentally... Tangentially, yeah. tangentially yeah. involved with, yeah, tangentially involved with. And, uh, you yeah. know, j- just the... I, I, I recently listened to the audiobook of uh, Ellison's original uh, script, and, of course, it's interspersed with... Uh, Harlan himself saying how much better this was than what was produced, and it it really pissed me off mm. because clearly I know that it's not <laughs> right, yeah. and I think he did too. I really think he did too, mm. but he was he was you know hell bent on making his voice louder than everybody else. Wow, and I think in a lot of a lot of sections of fandom it worked. Because no one has, you know, no one well, has. Well, that's read the it. traditional thinking. It's like, oh, that he wrote this genius script yeah. that was, and it was ruined. It was ruined, ruined. by those horrible TV producers. Yeah. And who, the only reason that the show is good is because of what he did. Right. And I can't go there. Also, something you just pointed out. One of the things about that episode, and I recently rewatched it for the hundredth time. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, flipping through. The fact that it was McCoy who gets the cordrogene mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. And that he's the one that goes mad, like the nicest, the last guy yeah. in the world. It was such a genius move to make him the catalyst of changing yeah. the past because he's the last guy that would have done it if he had not been affected. Right. And he's right. also Kirk's conscience. Right. right. You know, he's his Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Saying, Damn it, Jim. You know, and now he's the problem. Because so he, he doesn't have that anymore. But right. that makes it that not only is Kirk saving the future, he's saving McCoy. Right. Plus, you'd miss that great moment where uh, he's taking Edith Keeler to the movies, 
And he's saying, oh, Dr. You know, Dr. McCoy just said, Leonard McCoy? Yeah. And if it had been Joe Schmo, it wouldn't have had the same right. impact. Right. Oh, you mean Joe Ensign Schmoe. from Deck 12? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, if anything, you're speaking to the fact that that's what great television show running is all about. Absolutely. You know, you might get the most genius writer in the world, but unless you have a strong producer and a strong team right. behind a TV show that knows how to, like Harlan Ellison might have written a great story, but was it a great episodic Star Trek story? Story exactly. without right. everybody else contributing. And I think that happens a lot in television, and that's why- Or it you should. Have, or it should. And right. I think the best TV shows, I mean, you could speak, you gentlemen can speak more to that than I can, but it does. That's what television- But I think that's why it works as a comic book and as a standalone book. And it, you know, every time, you know, I think it, it, it works because as a standalone, but in context, as part of the show, it's right. not nearly as effective. That's a little bit my, uh, my Blade Runner argument. Uh, that mm -hmm. the reason why we kind of casually say that the version that doesn't have the narration is so much better is because we had the benefit of the version with the narration yep, to provide right. us the necessary context. Right. I, I still think, speaking of that, that is the best version of the movie because so much more of the movie is in that narration. That's right. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast in right. itself. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and... You know, I'm not going to continue this m much farther, but I don't think the comic book and the and the uh, and the script work on their own either. I think they're interesting. I didn't say they weren't interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think that they work they as, just, a, as a story. But I love what Harlan would do. He take he repurposed all this material that he wrote, sure. you know, and then he'd write these new introductions, right? Extolling how great they are, right? And he milked that thing for years, for, for years. years. Uh, for, it, it went up until he until he died. I wish we all could make money off stuff we did 20, 30 years no ago. All, all and I will again. say that the comic book version of that is it's pretty it's, damn good. It's yeah, well yeah. done. It's really yeah. well but done. But it shows how it doesn't and the, work. The Tiptons did that. And, <laughs> yeah, they and did a great they job. They did a great job. I love those guys. <clears throat> I mean, we had them on the show. That was another great episode last season, talking about the comic books. <laughs> Although we, we talked mostly about the Gold Key comic books, which is pretty funny. Um, but we'll, we'll, at some point, we'll have to go back and revisit the Marvel, IDD, IDW, and you know more recent iterations of, uh, of, of, of comic books. Um, there's so many things to go back to from first season. We never did the most toys part two. I think we, we ended like, right. <laughs> in the early 80s, and we never did the 90s. You know, and there were so many great Star Trek toys. So uh, that's something we'll have to add to the docket. Okay, so Ashley, we're doing the Academy of the Overrated. We have um, so far Best of Both Worlds, City on the Edge of Forever, the Harlan Ellison original script. Fa I mean, these are not when when came up with the idea. This is not what I expected to hear. I'm I'm totally fascinated. I'm actually totally on board with with the, that as well. But um, w w you know, always you're always the outlier. So I'd love to know. <laughs> certainly on our 4:30 movie podcast. So I'd love to know what uh, what your Academy of the Overrated entry would be. Well, I, I think uh, my selection would be the produced version of City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think what would have made it a lot better would have been if instead of Dr. McCoy, it had been Joe Schmo with a drug problem, <laughs> and right, if good, Captain good. Kirk had tried to save Edith Keeler, but Spock stopped him. Okay, good. Thanks, cool. Ashley. Hey, cool. On to you, Mark. Oh, um. <laughs> I don't know if this is low-hanging fruit or not, but I have to tell you. So, Mark, you know, I used to, to read your Cinefantastic uh, guides to uh, Star Trek seasons just religiously. I read them, too. Me, too. I, I, Are I, you saying that Mark Altman is the most overrated Yes, I am. Star no Trek? question. <laughs> but I remember reading your season review of Voyager mm. and your review of Caretaker. 
And I remember how much everybody loved Caretaker as yes. a pilot. And yes. I know we still say, oh, yeah, Caretaker is yeah. a really great pilot. It was in our top 100 episodes. Yeah. Yes, it was. But, but yeah, the top 3,000, I think, by the time we got through it, all like, <laughs> our, like our 24-hour like, yeah, you know, yeah, telethon uh, of uh. – um, <laughs> That was that was pretty good. Oh, and that's something else we got to decide it, this year for for the holidays. Are we going to do? Are we going to do the, the the movies or are we going to do the fifty worst Star Trek episodes? <laughs> <laughs> we, we just something to think about. <laughs> um, so I remember reading that and thinking, okay, sure, you know, on its own terms, Caretaker, really great pilot. But by the time I read that article, I was already angry at it. Because I felt that, much in the same vein as as what Rob has called out Best of Both Worlds for, a lot of the things that were introduced in the Caretaker pilot, mm. right, where we establish the engine of our show, where we give it its drive, where we introduce the characters and their conflicts, by the time we were into, oh, I don't know, pretty far into the season, I think it was episode two, um, a lot of that stuff I felt had been left behind. Um, a lot of the things that I found really interesting and cool about Captain Janeway had suddenly just flipped on their head. Like, you know, she basically tells, like, the, the Kazon, like, you know, if you pull this crap on me again, I'm going to respond with the deadliest force. And I'm like, yeah, you go. Phase her those buttheads, man. Do it. Do it. But the next time she has a problem with them, she's like, mm, I don't know. And she backs off. So the series spent, I think, kind of seven seasons running away from what could have been and should have been an incredibly great Star Trek premise that I was totally behind in that pilot. So I cannot watch that episode without a sense of disappointment. Also, Neelix blows. But, but. you know, my question for you is it really (laughs) overrated because I don't think you talk to a lot of people who say Caretaker is like a great episode of Star Trek. I don't think even Voyager fans are always, you know, extolling, uh, you know, Caretaker. I think we did... Um, a little bit, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure why, but we did. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, I don't know if that's like an episode that like stands out like best of both worlds. That's a fascinating because everyone loves best of both worlds. So for Rob to say it's overrated, that's interesting. Right. I don't know. Caretaker so much would fall within that. Oh, people love that episode. Right. You know, it's like True. saying yesterday's enterprise is overrated. You're, You're saying like, his Whoa. choice of caretaker is overrated. That's kind of what I'm saying. That's kind of what I'm saying. I think you're missing the point of the show. Oh, no. Uh, you wanted an outlier, damn it. But, <laughs> but no, I, I, I would say that, look, I think you and I, Mark, I mean, we knew each other when Voyager we, debuted. We, we, we knew did. each other for about a year. And I thought the entire first season of Voyager was very promising for the same reasons that you just said. I, I think, in a way, the entire first season of Voyager, in my mind, became overrated for the reasons that, that you you have, have laid out because it was a show that immediately ran away from its premise, beginning with the Maquis conflict with the yeah, Starfleet yeah, officers. Yeah. Yep. And I, I was really excited. It's like when, when Connery talks about in, in Hunt for Red October, when Cortez went to the New World, he burned his ships. Uh, I thought that Voyager was going to be a show about a starship that was lost. I mean, this idea of getting home fine, but they were going to, it was going to be a Federation beachhead in an area of the, uh, of the universe that they were cut off. And they were going to have to federationize yep. an unfederation point, uh, part of the galaxy. And that to me was an amazing premise. That's a that's a great show, and at the same time, their all the the their ship is going to be falling apart. They're going to run out of supplies, and eventually, they're not going to have a federation to bring to anybody. Right, and and that that's a really great idea for a show that they never ever ultimately lived up to, yeah. and they had to kind of let's bring in the Borg. Right, right. and 
Ah, yeah. So maybe, <laughs> maybe in a way, the entirety of Voyager is overrated. Is overrated. <laughs> Even the people that like it, because right. because it was I a show this that whole this... trial is on in order. The, the whole show, but the, the show really let let it, it. I mean, I understand why they did it. They had to go play it safe, but they had like Deep Space Nine, a really interesting, different premise that we'd never seen mm. before that they ran away from for seven years. Right. Okay. I, well, well, go ahead, Darren. This is not related to the Voyager thing, because I, I, I agree with what everyone said, that it's both rated and overrated. Um, All at the same time. I want to I jump back to another thing that, as you were saying before, you, you don't think that a lot of people think the caretaker is overrated. But a lot of people think that this episode I'm about to mention is, is wonderful. Ooh, uh, oh. I, I bet I know. Can I guess? Go ahead. Because it almost was my pick. Go ahead. Year of Hell. No. This is not Voyager. Oh, okay. Oh. This is Next Generation. Oh. Ooh. Can I pick? <laughs> Chain <laughs> no. of Command Part 2. Can you, Darmok? No. Angela. Darmok is, is overrated. so overrated. No. So overrated. No. So overrated. One that is, that is I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, here it comes. Does it involve flutes? Inner oh. Light. Yes! Yeah. I, that was my pick! Yeah. Yeah. You, you said that the three others that you <laughs> was your pick. By the way, you're wrong. I'm Inner not Light wrong. is not overrated. No. A mystery of unknown origin. Regular sick bay. The captain's hurt. Traps Picard in another world. My prisoner here. And another man's soul. This is not my life. Destined to spend eternity on a doomed planet. You simply cannot let this civilization die. Until fate. Cayman. Strikes a fatal blow. The captain is under attack. I'm losing him. On Star Trek The Next Generation. Dharma, I mean, Dharma, yeah. Inner Light has a great premise, a brilliant premise. It's the execution that doesn't work. Inner Light is the episode that Harlan Ellison would have written if he wrote something for TNG. <laughs> it's completely unrelated to anything in the next generation. <laughs> it is a story that is wonderful about this lost civilization and coincidentally... Captain Picard becomes one of them and lives the life. But it has nothing to do with our crew. It has nothing to do with anything on TNG. I remember Michael Pillar told me at the time that they 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 wanted to never go back to the ship. You know, there's those scenes where they have right. like, you know, on the bridge where they're like scanning Picard, like, what's wrong with him? Yeah. And you know, like it would have been so cool if they didn't go back to him, right. but they didn't have the balls to do that. And um I I to me, like, it's not well directed. It's it's well, it's, Peter just, Lord, it's such Peter the casting is kind of the casting half, is bland, bland yeah. but it's a brilliant premise. Morgan Gendel's it's premise a, it's is a fascinating great. science fiction story. Yeah. And oh Peter Allen Field's script is good. I completely I completely disagree. That's and, fine. And let me tell, tell me you. Why. Explain. I'll tell you why. Overrated. Because <laughs> because the idea of boldly going where no one has gone before to seek out new life and new civilizations, they found one that has been long gone. And the idea that they actually did discover a, a civilization, a wonderful civilization that had been snuffed out by the universe itself was such a great, now the premise was great, but there's such a melancholy and there's such a sadness that actually exists in that episode. And I think it's not just the premise that's great, there's something that really gets under your skin about that, and a lot of it has to do with Patrick Stewart's performance, but the relationship he has with his daughter, the relationship mm -hmm. the woman who plays his wife is great. See, 
I think that that episode. I agree with everything you just said. I completely. I think the premise is brilliant. I think it's a great way to boldly go. I disagree with what Darren said that it's not a Star Trek episode. I think it's a badly executed Star Trek episode. And I think if David Carson or Jonathan Frakes or David Livingston had done that episode, it would have been, or when Rick Colby, it would have been a much, much better episode. I just think it, it feels fakey. The sets aren't interesting. The performances aren't great. But it's such a great concept that's just betrayed by its production. Here's my problem. And, and, I, and I think maybe my difficulty now is cynicism isn't a, a trait that is common to my species. Really? Really. I mean, well, you have to, you have to, you have to inspire me, right? Like, it's, it's hard for me to say, oh, well, there's that thing I love, but everybody loves it too much. It's, it's hard for me to get there. Right. Um, that said, I, I can sort of grade some of these things on a sliding scale of, of how much I want to watch them uh, if the opportunity arises. That was a bigger deal when we had to worry about reruns yeah, versus just sure. to watch whatever the yeah, hell you yeah, want to yeah, watch. Yeah. Um, but in the case of The Inner Light, I, I think I'm kind of with you guys in the sense that I admire it conceptually. And I found it absolutely fascinating the first time that I watched it. And, you know, as just as a Star Trek idea, I thought it was totally fantastic because what a great way to talk about um, a, a civilization that you've discovered than to live inside of it. A little bit about what makes the uh, First Contact episode so great. We get to live inside of that culture um, and in a real way. We're actually we're at least trying to be a participant in it. Um, rather than being an outsider passing judgment on it or dealing with a plot problem. Um, so I, I think all of that is great. But I will say I have to agree with Mark on some of the execution because on rewatching it, I find it a little difficult to rewatch because I find pacing issues. I find some believability issues mm -hmm. with um, some of the performances. I don't know if... I mean, I'm a little back and forth on um, whether or not I want to blame a director and, and say that it would necessarily be a particular director's fault. I mean, we can, there's probably a whole episode in, you know, how much of a difference do like do great directors right. of Star Trek episodes make uh, versus can we, can we really tell a difference? I think sometimes, yes. Well, they were no. handing it out like yeah. candy uh, yeah. by the end of that show. It's like, also, hey, yeah. little boy, would you like to direct an episode? Of it, it, it was Peter Lauritsen who was yeah, a post-production supervisor yeah, yeah. Who, who was, who was being given a, you know, he was, they were doing him a favor. He wanted right. to direct and this was his, he got this a lot was of his one shot. He he, yeah, he did, but he was not exactly a deft director that yeah, much yeah. is true and that much uh, is certain uh, so I, I can't I can't disagree I with you all there you. but I do think that there's a lot more joy in that episode than you but we do agree about yeah. Darmok a savage kidnapping you're holding our captain I want him released and Picard is forced to play a dangerous game of survival no! now there is only one way to bring him back alive and it's gonna take me at least a full day to do it Captain Picard could be dead by then. And it could lead to a full-scale war. Stand by to fire, Mr. War. We cannot survive another hit. Deadly encounter on another exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We do agree about <laughs> Darmok, don't we, Rob? Oh, Darmok. At Tanagra, when the walls Darmok fell. Darmok is an episode that everyone loves the premise. And I have yes. to say, an alien species that speaks in metaphor, genius premise, 
the story completely lets it down. Yes. I mean, the idea that they're going to, they could have cooperated doing anything, but some, right. the most ridiculous monster story they could have told, they take this really interesting, one of the most interesting alien races ever introduced in Star Trek, and they basically set a scene, the whole episode is set around a campfire and a monster in the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is completely let down yeah. by the idea that these two people cooperate and fight a ridiculous monster in the world and there's something about like not being able to communicate with another race because you can't understand their language which is probably very relevant today but talking in metaphor it's well it's, it's like, a little bit like you know right now i'm doing a animated show with korean animators right. uh so i totally get where captain picard is coming from <laughs> we're trying to have a conversation right. about a monster and there's a whole translation thing that has to happen and and learning to kind of you right. know speak their language in a in a metaphorical way i but, know the feeling <laughs> yeah, yeah i bet you do <laughs> but uh, different language but yeah, yeah i bet yeah. you do um i don't know man like the the for me, Darmok, first of all, I, when I watched it the first time, I was more hungover than I had been in my entire life. Just, I just, so that's why <laughs> I remember it so wedding. well. Not since my wedding, exactly. But uh, what I loved about that episode, and I think here's, here's why it's, it's hard sometimes for me to say overrated or what. It's I have powerful attachments to moments in episodes where I felt something profound. Mm. So in Darmok, when Captain Picard is telling the story of Gilgamesh, it's so beautiful. It's so well done. The music is so perfect. It's so well paced. And just and they're both just delightful together. That that's what I think about when I think about that episode. I don't really think about the other stuff. I mean, although obviously I remember Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, you know, his army, his army, all that, you know, shots on the walls wide. fell, which I think would actually be a great band name. But uh <laughs> I'm Great. sure the next creation show you'll see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shock well, now, Shaka, when the walls fell. <laughs> lest, <laughs> lest we become uh, um, too jaded. Well, lest we become blamed for picking only the newer Star Trek stuff, mm. or you know, the middle age of oh, Star Trek. Oh, you want to do a, a original overrated? Can I, wanna... can I do my my? Please, no, Mark needs to do. I would like to do my pick. Please. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> pick it. it. I'm gonna pick it from a show I love. Okay, but I I, I do think it's overrated. The Way of the Warrior. Uh, it's where they introduced Worf in Deep Space Nine. Now, I love Worf on Deep Space Nine, and I love the arc, and I love where it goes. But to me, that was the most, like, we got to write Worf in to help the ratings. And they hadn't quite figured it out yet, you know, what the show was going to be and how the show was going to evolve with this new character. And I just never liked that episode very much. I don't think I don't think it's good. I don't think it, it you 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 got a sense of where this is how great this addition to the show was gonna be. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not not a fan of that episode. It, it felt like crass commercial uh, ism at its at its worst. It, it was a gimmick. It was a gimmick show, and it evolved from that because Ira Bear was a genius, and his writing staff were geniuses, and it eventually t matured into something fantastic. But way the worry to me was kind of a dud. Hmm. I I actually dug Way of the Warrior, although I don't think it was one of the show's finest hours. Um, I agree that it was still kind of finding itself. In a way, it was a second pilot, and they hadn't quite yeah. worked the bugs out. Yeah. But it did have some really great moments, um, and one of the smaller ones was Quark's root beer speech about the Federation. The Federation is like root beer. I mean, I just, I love like some of the little moments that are buried in that episode. Well, that's with Garrick. Yeah. That's one of the great moments in all of Deep Space Nine. That's right. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, Darren had Darren wanted to take a pot shot at uh, the original series. I didn't want to take a pot shot. Okay. I wanted what what to, what, what was your pick? Do a deep 
deep, uh, thoughtful, deep conversation. thoughtful conversation. And and yeah, okay. So um, what Ori- would that be? Original series. Yes, original series. The conscience of the king. Oh, I, but I don't think that's beloved. I, yeah, I don't think so. Either. I don't think that's a beloved episode. But you know who is beloved? Lenore oh Caridian. yeah, Lenore Caridian. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm all about, Here we about go beloving again. her. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that Barbara Anderson. We are we are often uh, chided for our supposed blind love of the original series. Oh, who cares? <laughs> I do. I care. I care. <laughs> All right. I you know don't. what? Screw amok time. I've had it with that episode. Are you serious? Wow. No, no not really not serious. <laughs> I didn't think you were. <laughs> I, I didn't think I you was were. trying to be open-minded and even-tempered about this whole thing. No, but no. no. Look, look, no, no, that's no. fine. I, look, honestly, first of all, I think I think Conscious of the King, to me, is a B-level episode. It always was a yeah. B-level episode. Yep. He's great, Arnold Moss. She's great. Has that... The, the shuttle bay has never looked cooler. Um, <laughs> you know, it has a lot of cool stuff. And that ending, you know, we we talked about this on the show, a floating tomb. I just, I love it. That's not a great gotten, episode. But it's gotten but better as we've gotten older. It's gotten better as we got older because we like Shakespeare now. And, and I look at that episode, there's nothing in that episode I Shakespeare don't love. Shakespeare guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't think anyone, you know, other than Jeff Bond, it's like, what's your favorite episode? Conscience of the King. Well, Jeff, you're weird. <laughs> but it's like, you know, <laughs> I don't think anyone goes around saying Conscious of the King. That's a really great episode. I also, it gives us a really interesting glimpse at the Star Trek universe. What do people do for fun? Mm-hmm. That that was never realized. And no, the, but it's the still, jazz they, version of Star Trek at the, the cocktail yeah, party. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, there's so much to loving. And by the way, Conscious of the King is one of the great titles for any Star Trek Agreed. episode ever. Can we just move on from this fakakta idea? Whatever you'd like. Yeah, Mark. I would like to move on. Let's let's no. But you brought up a point. People say. <laughs> wrongly, that we only care about the original Star Trek, and that we we to us it is sacrosanct. Right. So let's pick an overrated episode of the original Star Trek, other than Harlan Ellison's, because that's a technicality. Right. Yeah. Let let's uh, let's try and find an overrated well, episode one. of the original. No, there aren't any. They're all great. <laughs> Turnabout Intruder. <laughs> no, that's not overrated. Turnabout Intruder is not okay, overrated. I'll, I'll throw one out. I'll give Do you it. another controversial episode. Trouble sure. with Tribbles. Yep. Oh. Trouble with Tribbles. Fight is, me. Is no way. I I I uh, I. Think the trouble with Tribbles is a great episode. Absolutely, yeah, everybody is. talks about it being one of the best episodes of True. Star Trek, and everyone talks about it being the gateway to Star Trek. Right, and is completely. We did not. on the show with John Kim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's completely not. It, it, it is. It is a. It is a one note, gimmicky episode. That it is a sideline. That that is full of wonderful moments. Right. And, I and, can't go with you on this. I think it's a great episode. <laughs> I, I just I don't know what you guys are talking Look, about. Look, I was just trying to come up with some controversy. Uh, I can love I can Troubles. I say one? I'll say Do one. It. All our yesterdays. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I think that's overrated. I don't think the Zarabeth Spock stuff is all that interesting, and the witch stuff is abysmal. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, witch yeah. witch. And I, I just think that's a terrible. Which, which I mean, is which? It inspired a great novel, Yesterday's Son, right? Two great novels. No, I don't yeah. know. I stopped reading when I was six, unlike you. Uh, Yesterday's but, uh, Son, Yesterday's but, Little Brother. But no, I think Zarr. I think all our Yesterday's oh, yeah. is uh, is is. You know, I liked Mr. Ataz and. But it and was the second the to last library. episode. I, but it's still overrated. People like, like, you know, when you did the best of right. Trek. Right, okay, let's go back in time. <laughs> so best of Trek, right? They do their 10 best list. All our yesterdays was usually on that, wasn't it? They made a photo novel of it. Yeah. I don't so remember. Why is there a photo novel of all of, of our, all yesterdays? our yesterdays? Now, I love Mary Hartley as much as James Garner. But That's the really thing true. is, 
I just, I don't, I like her in the fur outfit. I like, you know, I like her, just she's great. I like her in a boat. I like her in a goat. I like her in a plane. <laughs> she's like the ultimate like, example of a woman you want to meet that you can rescue. You know, plus it's this ridiculous premise that um, because he's gone back in time, he suddenly is no longer, he has emotions because right. he's gone back in time, that he's changed as a result yeah. Of going back, he's going all altered states on us. Yeah, yeah, right. and I think that's that's messed Proto up. Vulcan. And also, right. I would have liked to have seen her be less of you know sort of a Mary Sue, right. and more like kick ass and like in control. Yeah. I mean, a woman who was left or a man who was left alone and had to survive on their wits all these years. I think she she wouldn't just fall would for Mister Spock. Yeah. She would she yeah exactly. And I think I think there's a much more she interesting would try to kill episode and eat there. Spock. And so, I don't. Which I don't would be care. amazing, by the way. However bad or however evil that despot was, he is not going to send someone as fine as Mariette Hartley back into the past. Oh God, Rob! Come on, why well, did you do that? Again, like so many of these, the it has I'd love to a know lot the of demographic <laughs> of our show. It has a lot of interesting science fiction premises. It but does. they don't really go together. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they don't really work on their own. That's a really good point because the Mr. Atos, the library, is great. Back, that's really yeah. interesting. And it's never really explored. Like, you could go back in time to any point in the planet's history by picking this little disc. And interestingly, it's very similar to Harlan's original concept of the Guardians of Forever. Ah. So because they were, they were people, mm. they were beings. Well, and also, if you did. Weren't they afraid that the timeline would be polluted? What I never understood is you're sending all of these people well, that, with modern technology. That's why they needed something. to be prepared by uh, the Atavacron. I understand, but that doesn't mean that once you get back into a certain timeline, you can't like manipulate the stock market and really enjoy yourself, no matter how prepared you were. So and it's back to the future, too. And wouldn't by yeah. sending everybody back into time, they would have changed their timeline over and over and Can over I again? ask, <laughs> do you guys, when you're watching these episodes now as adults, as opposed to when you were kids, do you ever try and figure out what the stock footage is from? Like when you're watching City of Forever or all, all our yesterdays, oh, sure. and yeah, they yeah. show the past, and it's all from old Paramount movies. Right. Do you try and think, oh yeah, I know that. That's from like, <laughs> you know, that's you know, Sunset Boulevard. Or, I, I, I've <laughs> or never, I've never taken that deep dive. Ten Commandments or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm always I've wondered but never tried to answer. Okay, well that's a ridiculous question. But then. you have, obviously. I, I, no, I, I, I have. I, I think that's where a did whole, the stock footage come that's from? That's episode. That's when we get to the twentieth season of the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're really scraping shows on Star Trek. Shades of Grey. For, uh, for 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 topics. Well, listen, th this was a, such a fascinating conversation, and it's so fascinating. And I I think we're so guilty of, of saying too. some horrible things that we need to come back next week with the Academy of the Underrated. So if you guys will join us next week, Darren and I would love to invite you back to talk about Star Trek's most underrated episodes so we can do a little damage control for bagging on the inner light because I think we just <laughs> lost half our audience. Um, so uh, what do you say? You guys going to come back next week? Can't wait. Sure. Might oh, as well. Okay. Well, I shall consider it. <laughs> <laughs> One man. I, I want to thank uh, Rob Meyer Burnett and uh, Ashley Miller for uh, joining us on the premiere episode, or the muck time, as we said, of uh, <laughs> second season of Inglorious Trexperts. And um, if you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 movie, which returns uh, in October with all new episodes, in which a group of writer and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. The new podcast, The Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast, every Tuesday. And, of course, our podcast, which is on every Saturday. 
Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow us in Glorious Trek on Twitter or in Glorious Trek Experts on Instagram, and you can tell us what jerks we are for saying all these horrible things, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, very spe- especially Darren for, for saying terrible Thank things you. about Harlan. Thank you. Uh, also, a very special thanks to uh, Bill Ritter, uh, who makes us sound uh, oh so good, and, and uh, we'll now be watching these episodes on MeTV and say, what, what, what are these guys talking about? I don't think they make any sense. <laughs> and, and Natalie Mascara. Golly, our producer who's back there at the monitor, and uh, just everybody at Electric Surge for their support, including executive producer Dean Devlin, without whom this would not be possible. So until next Saturday, keep on trekking. And gloriously, of course, for part two, Academy of the Underrated. We'll see you then. Engage. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.